Dra. I think, are you ready to start? Yeah. We're ready when you are. Hello, welcome to This Could Be Gay, the podcast where we explore all the gay possibilities of pop culture. I'm your host, Anya, and this is my honorary co-host slash guest today, Wally. Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, my pronouns are she, her. And mine are she, they. So um, today we are going to be talking about characters that were meant to be queer, but couldn't have been because of censorship. So I'm going to have Wally take it away. Yeah, so um, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I'm not about to dox myself, but I worked in the book industry um, (laughs) for over a decade. Um, And a lot of stuff has been happening lately. You might have been paying attention to that. And um, as an act of protest and coping or whatever, I created this design. This is my um, uh, library support devil drag queen named Dewey DeMonica. Um, I have a t-shirt and four stickers. I will be giving them away to the first five people who ask questions or tell us who they think should have been gay in pop culture um, at the end. So be thinking of questions if you want (laughs) one. Um, So yeah, we're going to talk about, it's a little bit different than some of the episodes we've had in the past. And I asked uh, Anya if we could do this because um, just of all of the stuff happening with um, book banning, um, specifically focused on uh, LGBTQ representation, all of the anti-trans legislation, the crackdown on drag performances and stuff like that. Um, And we kind of wanted to go back to um, a time when stuff like this was happening um, in the past. So we're gonna (laughs) take you on a little bit of a time machine starting back in like the 1930s. Um, So to set the scene in the 20s and 30s, we had kind of some social improvements, especially in Europe and surprisingly in the Weimar Republic, which was Germany in between World War I and World War II. It was actually one of the best times in modern history to be queer. Um, There were like a ton of gay bars in Berlin. there was the first like scientist and doctor really openly looking into um, gender and sexuality. The first thing that we would modernly call gender reassignment surgery um, was done in that period. And um, this kind of was part of the backlash that happened during the rise of the Third Reich. So the first book burning that the Nazis actually did in 1933 when it stopped being the Weimar Republic and became Nazi Germany was actually the library in um, Dr. Hirschfeld's um, clinic that was supporting and researching and counseling um, gay and trans people. Um, So that's what's kind of happening in the world is this kind of 
backlash against this more social permissiveness. And in the same time period in America, um, we had started to see some like gay representation in movies, um, but then there were a couple of really graphic, like sexy, spicy scandals in Hollywood. Um, there was like a murder trial and like, um, like the biggest movie star at the time was like uh, accused of rape. And so all, there was this like threat of government crackdown, which led to what's called the Hayes Code, um, which was active from 1930s to 1968, kind of predated um, like the movie rating system. And it um, really explicitly um, said that you couldn't have gay characters. Um, so we had started to kind of creep forward with gay representation, and all of a sudden the Hayes Code, it was actually called the Motion Picture Production Code, but it was kind of more known as the Hayes Code because the guy who kind of wrote it was named Hayes, um, that said, um, films were not allowed to portray, quote, perverse subjects such as homosexuality. Um, and this is what really led to the rise of secret gay characters, um, which gave rise to what we would now call queer coding, um, which will lead into what Anya is going to talk about first. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, queer coding, we've got a, um, a quote here about queer coding. So queer coding is the practice of imbuing queer traits into a character without outright declaring them as part of the LGBTQ community. Queer coding has long been a way of uh, including LGBTQ adjacent characters without stating their sexuality openly. And we can trace it back to literary classics like Jane Austen's Emma and Pride and Prejudice, Virginia Woolf's Orlando and Miss Dalloway, and F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Queer coding became prominent in cinema during the golden age of Hollywood, especially after the rise of the Hayes Code. However, whereas queer coding in classic literature served to include the oppressed voices and perspectives of LGBTQ people, um, Disney, who queer coded a lot of their villains, um, used it to um, add further stigma to a community that was already struggling to be seen and accepted. And so, yeah, I'm talking about queer coded Disney villains, y'all. <laughs> so, you know, there's Ursula. Everybody knows Ursula. Queen. And queen, yeah, based on a drag queen, famously. Um, but just a villain, you know. And then we've got Gaston, Jafar, and Scar, uh, who actually were designed by the same gay man, a guy named Andreas Deja. Um, he was a Disney animator since 1985, um, and he was responsible for them. Um, and, you know, a lot of people can see Jafar, especially, as being queer-coded um, with his... I see it the most with Scar. Oh, Scar, absolutely. That body language, the actual limp wrist. <laughs> like, I mean, for real. Yeah, like, honestly. It's just there. Yeah, and then, um, let's see, we've got... I'm checking my notes, y'all, I'm sorry. I'm nervous. Thank you for being here. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, we've got um, the fancy Navy men, like um, Governor, or what does that yeah, say? Yeah, Governor Ratcliffe. Governor Ratcliffe from Pocahontas, and Captain Hook, who, um, <laughs> while we put totes married to Mr. Smee, <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah, I edited this script a lot. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's just, we've got Hades, we've got Dr. Facilier, we've got Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective, all 
men that are supposed to be these horrible villains that are queer coded in the end. Um, and I mean, like Dr. Facilier's little crop top. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> and so yeah, like a lot of them, they have um, like a slimmer build, like a more like effeminate body movements. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really phallic power symbols, like yes. Jafar's staff. Yeah. <laughs> you know um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. And then we've got non-heteronormative women, um, like Maleficent, who she was not feminine, so she was evil. And we have Cruella de Vil, who has that like, famous quote about, why would you ruin your career for a man? You know, So there's just all of these queer-coded things that they attribute to the villains. And yeah, they punish women for being incorrectly female by yes. making them villainous, mm-hmm. so for sure. Um, so yeah, that was pretty prominent through a lot of like the golden age of, of Disney's um, animation. And um, this leads me to like the next little bit of industry self-censorship outside of film. Um, and this is in the 1950s. Um, so if you think about what was happening, that was like the McCarthy era, they were hunting down communists, but also the secondary red scare is the lavender scare. Do you know about the lavender scare? Yes. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> But tell us. Yeah, so <laughs> that was when um, McCarthy, who is really more well-known for hunting down communists, he also wanted to go after gay people who were working in government because they were, quote-unquote, more susceptible to blackmail. So instead of making it um, morally acceptable to be gay, therefore making black male toothless, they decided to eject anybody who was gay from working in the government. Um, if you don't want gay men working in the postal office, don't give them the thirst trap shorts, is what I say. Yeah, but those are some thirst trap shorts. They totally are. Um, so anyway, so it's in that era that um, we get this absolute dumpster fire of a book um, in 1954. It was called Seduction of the Innocent um, by Dr. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, Dr. Frederick um, Wortham, Wortham. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, it is just a garbage, like pop psychology, badly researched. Um, he said that comic books were giving rise to crime and homosexual fantasies and just general delinquency. He said that comic books were more dangerous than Hitler because they got kids when they were younger. Um, and this is Woof. this is less than 10 years after the end of World War II, and he's like, comic books, worse than Hitler. I'm like, okay. Hmm. Um, dude, <laughs> rein it in. And so some of my favorite is he was like, um, he was sure that Wonder Woman's strength um, meant that she was a lesbian her, and her independence. Um, also, her use of a rope meant that it was going to lead people into you, like BDSM. Obviously. Which, I mean, if you know anything about the guy who wrote Wonder Woman, he wasn't completely off base there, but like, I'm sure the kids <laughs> weren't picking up on that. Um, um, he also was sure that anybody reading Batman and Robin comics was going to have homosexual fantasies. Um, and this would have been just like some garbage pop philosophy, whatever, except that it got into the hands of a senator, um, Senator Kefauver, who was like this famous kind of mob hunter. And he decided to have a televised subcommittee meeting on juvenile delinquency. Um, and I mean, it was sexy, splashy, everybody watched this and it had, you know, this quote-unquote doctor telling people that comic books were going to turn your kids into gay criminals. 
you know, you can't do crime. But, um, yeah. but it, I mean, it was like a sensation. And within a year, 15 comic book publishers had gone out of business in a Holy year. Shit. Um, and so the rest of the publishers were like, we don't really want the government censoring us, kind of how the film industry didn't want to, so they created their own code, the Hayes Code. Uh, comic books companies created what was called the Comic Code Authority. Um, and what this did is it created a little stamp that they would put on the front of comic books that essentially says there's nothing naughty in this book. Like, this is approved by the Comics Code Authority. Um, and that really led to a lot of more, like, progressive and subverf subversive things kind of going underground and not getting um, mainstream coverage. Um, and part of that was because from 1954 to 1989, um, there were specific rules against portraying LGBT characters. Um, and here are a couple quotes from the code. Um, illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at or portrayed. Violent love scenes as well as sexual abnormalities are unacceptable. Treatment of love romance stories shall emphasize the value of home and the sanctity of marriage. Sex, per sex perversion or any inference to same is strictly forbidden. Um, so that was over 30 years of the comics industry. And this Comics Code Authority, even though it got edited and became a little bit more toothless, this was active into the 2000s. Um, oh my God. Which is bananas to me. <laughs> um, so this led to some, um, some really specific changes and I wanna give credit to Alan Kistler. Um, he did a lot of the actual like deep diving reporting on this, so like credit to him. Um, but in 1956, um, this was the first presentation of Batwoman um, because uh, Bruce Wayne had just adopted Dick Grayson who became Robin and they didn't want it to appear that this could be a homosexual relationship. So they had to present a female love interest for Batman um, to prove Obviously. that he wasn't gay. He couldn't be dating Catwoman because she was a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, and eventually also Batgirl to date Robin. So, yeah. Mm. Um, 1979, there was a uh, character named Northstar. Um, he was part of Alpha Flight, which is kind of part of the X-Men part of the Marvel Universe. And the creator, whose name is mm, John Byrne, um, he said that he was gay, but he had to be closeted um, because of the code, but also because of Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter. Um, and he eventually got to come out of the closet, but not for, like... 20, 25 years. Um, uh, in 1982, um, this is the same year that uh, AIDS would became like the official name um, instead of GRID or gay plague. Um, so this is what's happening in the world. They still couldn't explicitly have gay characters or talk about, about gay characters, but you start to see them kind of pushing against this. Um, and do you want to talk about this one? Because you know this character. You like Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a nerd, so Captain America's gay, just like everybody else, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you do it. I'm, I'm nervous now. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so he has this, um, his friend named Arnie Roth, who in the comic talks about how he never found happiness in, in relationships. He never really felt right, but he had found love and happiness um, like with his best friend and roommate. Oh my God, they yeah, were roommates. They were roommates. <laughs> like, um, 
which I think his name is, yeah, Michael. Um, and so these two characters um, have like an emotional on-page hug, but it's still not explicitly gay. Mm-hmm. But this was like at a time, like this was during the like peak of the AIDS crisis. They wanted to be able to talk about it, but they were under this gag order. And so this was um, sort of pushing back against that. Um, similarly, in 1987, you see a sort of, semi-explicit lesbian um, character. She was a Metropolis cop in a Superman comic named Maggie Sawyer. Um, She lives with a woman and she admits to him, I fucking love this quote, um, that she had spent years trying to deny feelings, quote, a proper Catholic girl didn't even want to consider. So, yeah, it's like um, we're gonna talk about being gay but she's got to be ashamed of it yeah it's shameful you know it's like without even saying the word gay so that's great so finally two years after that in 1989 they finally edit the code to allow for some representation and so um dc finally confirms that um the island of women where when wonder woman comes from what's it called Thosira. yes Mister. thank you um that basically it, it's sapphic as hell, like obviously. Um, obviously. Which had been hinted at back in the 40s before the code, and then they had had to scrub all of those references while um, the Comics Code Authority was in effect. Um, and But it wasn't until 2016 that it was explicitly stated that Diana had had a same-sex relationship before she left the island and entered the world of man. Oh my Um, god. So yeah, not until 2016 that we get canonical (laughs) identification of that. Um, And so in 1992, North Star, um, who was our our Alpha Flight member, finally got to come out of the closet in the early 90s. Um, And that was sort of like opened the gates to piecemeal at getting more comics representation. and so now it's a little bit better. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple years ago at Treefort, actually, they had a workshop where you could create a zine. And I thought that was cool, so I went. Uh, it was part of Storyfort. And they just had this giant stack of comic books that we could cut up and use. And so I made a little zine called Let Superheroes Be Queer. And it absolutely had Diana with one of the Amazonian women. Like, 100%. Absolutely. Gay. Okay. So we're going to switch gears and talk about some cute childhood shit that you'll all be familiar with. <laughs> Frog and toad. Yes. Oh. Also, I'm wearing uh, overalls with a bunch of frogs on them because we we're going to talk about frog and toad today. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, frog and toad, if you're unfamiliar, is a children's book. I'm sure everybody knows what frog and toad is, but it's a children's book that features frog, who's a frog, and toad, who's a toad, and they're best friends. And they live next door to each other, basically. And we're best friends. Best friends. And um, yeah, they just get into all of these shenanigans and yes, just Toad is like very neurotic, and um, mm-hmm. a Frog is just always trying to get him to like do fun stuff, and they are <sighs> adorable. They're precious. <laughs> Anybody who reads it is like gay. Um, and <laughs> um, and we have a quote here from the author. Uh, so Frog and Toad it's was written. from his daughter. Yeah, from his daughter. Um, Frog and Toad is written by Arnold Lobel. And his daughter, Adrian, uh, s- suspects that there was another dimension to the series' sustained popularity. Frog and Toad are of the same sex. They love each other, she said. 
it was quite ahead of its time in that respect. In 1974, four years after the first book in the series was published, Lobel came out to his family as gay. And Adrian said, I think Frog and Toad was really the beginning of him coming out. Uh, Lobel never publicly discussed a connection between the series and his sexuality, but he did comment on the ways in which personal material made its way into his stories. And Lobel ended up dying in 1987 as an early victim of the AIDS crisis. And Adrian, his daughter, said he was only 54. Think of all the stories that we missed. And that was from a New Yorker article by Colin Stokes. But um, yeah, I feel like just that era, It. He, I'm glad that we have this this just precious, precious They're story. so precious. Just story on story on story of these two little guys that love each other. And I really think that, I mean, it was his way of like exercising um, what he wished his life could have been. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it was like self-insert fanfic with amphibians um <laughs> you know and um and it's it's tragic that he had to live his life that way um yeah but um i'm glad that we have frog and toad they're just so precious they're very precious <laughs> i reread a couple in preparation and yeah you should go back and read some they're, they're cute. really cute and really funny yeah they are really the funny. ice cream cones oh it's my favorite yeah there's a a story where they're it's a hot summer day and Toad's like, I have an idea. I'm going to go get us ice cream cones. And so he goes, and he goes to get these ice cream cones, but it's so hot that it's just melting everywhere. And so by the time he gets back to Frog, he's just this mess with, like, horns, and all of the other animals in the forest are scurrying away in fear. And he's like, wait, that's Toad. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll fix this, and yeah. fixes it, and he's they like, go out we'll and get their little ice cream, ice cream cones. together. Yeah. It's very sweet. <laughs> very cute. Oh. Um, uh, speaking of everybody's childhood, um, let's talk about Bert and Ernie. Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody you knows gotta. they're gay. Everybody knows they're gay. Um, and Matching pajamas. I know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah, they sleep in the same room. Separate beds, but same room. But I mean, like, think, they first appeared in 1969. So if you think about what else is on TV at that time, like, think about Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, you know, I Love Lucy, whatever. They had married couples on screen sleeping in separate beds in the same room. Yep. That's what they had to do on TV because, I don't know, moral censorship weirdness. Um, and so I'm like, I'm sorry, you put them in the same bedroom in matching pajamas. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't care that they're in separate beds. There are two guys living in the same room in Brooklyn. They gay. You gay. know? Like, <laughs> um, so hypothetically, um, they were designed to recreate the friendship between Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Um, but the guy who primarily wrote for Burton Ernie, kind of from 1979 on, um, whose name was, hold on, let me find it, Mark Saltzman, um, said that when he was writing for Burton Ernie, um, he modeled it after his own life with his partner Arnold Glassman, which Aww. is really sweet. Um, but Sesame Workshop um, has repeatedly and vehemently denied that they are gay. Um, which, like, I mean, like, they're so adamant about it. It's like the lady doth protest too much. You know what I mean? Like, it is mm -hmm. bananas how, like, <laughs> upset they get about it. Um, and I, I don't know. It's just, it seems pretty obvious to me. My favorite thing is that they say, um, they have no sexual orientation but are best friends. <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay. okay um, homo romantic ace life partners. I can live with that. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll meet you halfway, Sesame Street. Like, let's get there. It's fine. 
<laughs> Maybe that's why they had separate beds. That's cool. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. That brings us to uh, an icon of my childhood. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> Xena, Warrior Princess from 1995, debut in 1995. Yes, absolutely. And Gabrielle, her obvious love life partner, obviously. Obviously. So I didn't grow up on Xena. I, um, I remember seeing it like on TV and stuff, but I didn't actually watch it. So in preparation of this show, I went to YouTube and I Googled, or I YouTubed, I guess, Xena, Warrior Princess, Gabrielle, gay. <laughs> And watched a bunch of just <laughs> yeah. I was like, Anya, reels. I have homework for you. You're gonna have fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so we're wa- I'm just watching all these reels, and there's just all these things, and I'm just like, this isn't gay though. There's a a literal scene where Zena and Gabrielle are like gazing into each other's eyes, just you know, as you do with your gal pal, and and. She says, you are the most dear, to, dear thing to me in all the world. Zena says this to Gabrielle. And then Gabrielle goes, I love you. And she goes, I love you too, Gabrielle. And I'm like, okay, so they're gay. They were Canon. best friends. <laughs> History will remember them. Are you sensing a theme? <laughs> so yeah, um, we had, let's see. So although it was never explicitly stated in the series, Lucy, the person who played Zena, uh, has confirmed the pair were gay in love, and it's no big deal. Yeah, she's like, it's no big deal. Everybody's gay. Lucy Lawless, <laughs> gay, gay ally. We love her. Um, and then Universal Television was the um, network that that Zena was through, and it said, uh, before we started shooting Zena, we shot the material that we were going to use to create the title sequences with. Uh, the co-creator and executive producer, Robert Tappert, is saying this. Um, The studio was so concerned it would be perceived as a lesbian show that they would not allow us to have Xena and Gabrielle in the same frame of the opening titles. Like, that's how queer these two were. They couldn't be seen together. They were worried about it looking that way because it was! (laughs) And then uh, it says we were... um, this is the actress who played Gabrielle. This is a quote from her. Yeah, okay. That's part, yeah. So, yeah, it says, uh, we were very aware that there was only so much we could do because it was a show on network television. So anytime Rob would push the envelope as, mu- as much as we could, um, he would work within the certain guidelines. So they, they tried. They tried. Yeah, they pushed it as much as they could. But, you know, when the network isn't going to let you do it, you know, again, it was kind of like, you know, the Hayes Code and the Comms Code Authority, they were on kind of a gag order, so you ended up getting queer coding, you know. Yeah, so when you have a spare moment, go to YouTube and type in. <laughs> <laughs> we, you have your homework to do also. Gabrielle Gay. Enjoy yourselves. And just enjoy. It was a, a delight. It is iconic. <laughs> um, yeah, this is going to feel like a deviation, um, but go with me, okay? Because uh, I want to talk about Godzilla. Um, <laughs> yes. Stay with me, okay? <laughs> so, um, Godzilla, in all of the um, English movies, the pronoun that is given to Godzilla is he. Um, obviously, because a big, powerful monster has to be a man, I guess. Whatever. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, and in fact, one of the movies in 2014 was subtitled King of Monsters. Um, but if you go back to the originals, the Toho franchise in Japan, the pronoun in Japanese that is used is it, because Godzilla is a force of nature. It was like the embodiment 
of like the nuclear threat, basically. Um, and so it wasn't until it was translated and like moved over to English that it was given the pronoun he. Um, and this <laughs> got even more complicated in 1967 um, when the film A Son of Godzilla came out, um, when Godzilla had a hatchling. Um, so people assumed that Godzilla was female because Godzilla had a baby, um, which was that like tried to like circle that square in 98 um, when a movie came out where Godzilla lays eggs. Um, and the movie has some scientists being like, well, you know, like many reptiles, Godzilla reproduces asexually. Um, and so they could uh -huh. still get away with using the he pronoun, which I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and like my absolute favorite is on the audio commentary for the DVD of that movie. Um, the special effects artist Patrick Totopoulos stated they sculpted female genitalia onto Godzilla, um, but is still referred, they still referred to the creature as he. Um, so this is just some like weird gender essentialism bullshit when trans icon, yeah, trans icon. I mean, like essentially Godzilla is too badass for gender. So like keep your gender binaries off of my force of nature, basically. Absolutely. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then I think we wanted to, um, our last bit of media, we're going to kind of revisit something that we've talked about in a previous episode, but yes. in the context of um, censorship. censorship and, you know, movie studios just like fucking up shit. Yeah. So if you've ever listened to the podcast, you might have heard this, but if not, go back and listen to it because it's a great episode about yes. Bend It Like Beckham. As you all know, Bend It Like Beckham starring Kira Knightley and uh, other people that I don't know the names of off the top of my head because Kira Knightley. And, and she's there, and yeah, I'm not seeing much else. Um, so <laughs> Bend It Like Beckham is about a, a girl who plays soccer, and she joins a team with another, well, a lady sees her playing soccer, and is like, wow, you should join my team, because you're great at soccer, and I'm gay. <laughs> but um, basically, there's interviews where um, the director of the movie are asked, she's asked about, you know, like, why didn't you make them gay? That would have been cool. And she said, um, let's see, Gurinder Chadha, which is the name of the director, uh, in her interview with a podcast called Burn It All Down, which is a multicultural feminist sports podcast. Interesting. Check that um, sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, replied to the widespread belief that Jess and Jules should have been lovers. So Jess is uh, the main character and Jules is Kira Knightley. God bless. And it says, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely one way the story could have gone, definitely. We were working with a company at the time, and originally Joe the coach was much, much older, uh, which is the love interest in the movie. He's their coach, which is just creepy. Creepy, absolutely not. Um, and then someone in the company said, why don't you just make him younger? And I was like, oh, yeah, and just have him fall in love. Like, yeah, I could see that. But a friend of Gurinder Chadha, Nisha Gan Ganatra, Yes, Ganatra yeah. claimed that Chadha planned to have a lesbian main plot, but chickened out at last minute for fear of offending and upsetting Indian audiences because the main character is uh, an English Indian woman, and it talks a lot about like her place within that culture in the movie and so on and so forth. So she was gonna do it and then got scared, which you know. And that was two thousand three. So yeah. 
I mean, hopefully it's better now, but like there's definitely this like long history of, you know, this like want and push for representation that is just being stymied by these, um, I don't know, reactionary censorship um, parts of our culture. Um, and that's kind of why we decided to do this as a little bit different format, just because of what's happening right now. So um, just to give you a little bit of a rundown on what's happening. Um, yeah, during, the <laughs> yeah, during the 2023 legislative session, um, the ACLU is tracking a 421 anti-LGBTQ bills in the US. Uh, according to the Washington Post, at least 14 states are introducing anti-drag shows show bills this year. Um, and PEN America, who does a lot of anti-censorship work, um, says that educational censorship is continuing to spread across the country in 2023, with 86 educational gag orders introduced as of February 14th of this year. Uh, and so that's things like the anti-critical race theory stuff, that's the like don't say gay, that kind of stuff is what they mean by educational gag orders. Um, now book banning efforts are too prolific to track because they're happening on so many different fronts. It's happening in individual classrooms, school libraries, public libraries. It's happening in school board meetings. It's happening at state legislature levels and national mm -hmm. legislature levels. Um, but yesterday, the American Library Association released some numbers from 2022 um, that I think are kind of interesting. Um, so 1,269 attempts to ban or restrict library materials happened last year. Uh, and to give you some context for that, usually, because um, there's a kind of a baseline level of book banning attempts, uh, it usually fluctuates, but it's around 450. Um, in 2021, it got up to about 750, so like almost doubled, um, and then like that amount got added again on top of that. And so like if you look at the bar graph, it's like it's kind of flat and then there's just this upward spike um, that's happened since 2020. Um, and so we don't have numbers for 2023 yet because it's only March. Um, but like I can see that that trend is going to continue up exponentially. Um, and most of those um, banning attempts were attacking multiple titles. So they'll just have this like list of books that the people challenging haven't even read. Um, so 90% of them challenged multiple titles. So when you're talking about individual books being challenged, it's 2,571 unique titles last year. Um, and usual, the like usual number of individual titles is between two and 300. So that is, a shocking um, amount of titles being being targeted. Um, so it is something that like we should definitely all be paying attention to and being aware of. And um, uh, if you want to do something and get involved about this, like first of all, it's good to, to be informed. Um, if Absolutely. you are local, I highly recommend following Society of Secret Library Friends on Twitter and Instagram. They're doing a really good job of keeping people updated and reporting locally. Um, the American Library Association and Idaho Library Association also doing a good job. Um, and Book Riot actually has quite a lot of good reporting and templates for direct action. Um, if you wanna, you know, do stuff, we don't have a ton of time, like they have templates to, of letters to like send to your legislature and you know, like um, things like that. 
Um, and there's also ACLU Idaho. ACLU Idaho. And Add the Words Idaho mm-hmm. posts a lot about the anti-trans stuff that's coming up in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if, like, especially in Idaho, if you feel like you're just like beating your head against the wall, reaching out to our legislatures, which I totally understand, it's also, I think, really important to talk to your community about it, talk to your friends, your family, your coworkers, um, but also to reach out and support the people being affected by this, like especially school librarians, they're often alone in their building. Um, and are like, librarians are getting death threats, they're being called groomers. Um, these bills would give fines and jail time to librarians, educators, even booksellers, in some cases if some of this stuff passes in Idaho. Um, So, like, you know, send a love note to your local library, you know, like they could use, you know, kind of a word hug. Um, And, you know, just look at the people in your community who are affected by this. Like, part of direct action is, like, maintaining the energy and, like, supporting Mm -hmm. your community. Um, So, I mean, like, show up, stay informed, contact who you can contact. But, um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> kind of a downer this year, sorry, um, but I thought it was really important to talk about. Um, and we do have giveaways if you have questions or if you want to talk about something that you think should have been gay. So, yeah. anybody? Anybody? We're gonna. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's kind of the double-edged sword of queer coding, is it was a way of incorporating gay characters without upsetting the censors. And so it was sort of like um, like a shibboleth, like if you're in the know, you know it's, he's gay. Um, but if you don't, he's just this goofy character. And I mean, you, even when we started to get gay representation, you were still kind of, I mean, like think about Will and Grace. Like that shit would not fly these days. I mean, they were like totally over the top stereotypes, right? And that came from queer coding where you had to put in the like over the top like fashion and the limp wrists and the body language just to be like he's gay wink wink but we're not going to say it and and yeah it's super frustrating and so you're like i understand the impulse of these people wanting to include queer people in their narratives but they did it in a way that in some ways became kind of damaging is it oh, created these like weird niche stereotypes and like yeah they became the the comic relief for the side character you and know the, the butt of the joke the butt of the joke like as a fat person I have the same kind of experience with fat representation too like you don't get to be main characters you only get to be the funny best friend um and god especially if you're looking for a fat gay character good luck um, yeah, so, um we're looking yeah, we're looking. Bring it to us. <laughs> and so, yeah, so queer coding, you, I mean, I understand the impulse behind it and why they did it, but with, like, when we talk about the Disney villains, um, then you get this negative association with those characteristics. So then you see those people 
who are acting the way those villains acted and you automatically think they're bad. And well, and it's really insidious because it's for children. Yeah. They're, they're trying to implant this seed in children's brains. And I think that's fucked. It is. And I, and yeah, like <laughs> it leads to like the weird thing where um, people being bad people is connotated with being gay, which is why, I mean, going back to where we were talking about in the Weimar Republic, the first concentration camp before the Nazis were really, really in power was um, they wanted to crack down and imprison sexual deviants. And at the beginning, that meant um, like pedophiles and child molesters, because everybody was on board with locking up child molesters. Nobody's gonna argue with that. But then they started the social propaganda to equate being gay with being the same as those sexual deviants. It's the same thing happening now with the bathroom bills, people being called groomers, drag queen mm -hmm. story time being vilified. And so, yeah, it's like that queer coding of people and queerness being associated with badness has a real measurable negative influence on our world today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was born in 1987, so like I know a little bit historically, but I was not aware, you know, <laughs> enough of that at the time. Um, I think that um, there were some interesting stuff happening with gender, you know, expression, George Michael, David Bowie, stuff like that, um, but I would not consider myself an expert on it at all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. a very complicated relationship with Corporal Klinger. I was a huge MASH fan as a child, just super weird. <laughs> I, like, it's very Didn't strange. Didn't much. No, but like Corporal Klinger, I mean, it started off as this bad joke. He wanted to get, a, you know, a medical exemption for being insane, but then he also started to kind of enjoy some aspects of, you know, cross-dressing. I think he kind of felt some of the freedom of getting outside of his gender, which is kind of cool. And it's again, though, with queer coding, you're like, this is kind of cool that we're kind of breaking down some of those gender norms, but this is a super problematic representation. Like, just really, really problematic. So yeah, I have a complicated love-hate relationship with Corbett Klinger. I, yeah, <laughs> totally agree. Anyway, you had a question. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I know. Mm -hmm. Um I I mean I have a thought but do you have any thoughts on this? No. Okay. Zero. Head I empty. mean I I think that it's um I mean it's not abnormal for um a group in power 
to pick and choose things from marginalized groups and mm -hmm. um, like that they'll make fun of them for, but if I'm doing it, it's fine and cool. You know, like white people with dreads. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like, um, or yeah, I just there's a lot of different um, uh, uh, ways that that has happened in the past. And so um, I think that, yeah, you can like cherry pick the things you want to take from uh, like a different um, part of society, marginalized society, without actually giving them kind of agency and rights. And I think that that's possibly an example of that. Um, I mean, a, a music and culture is complicated. All of it intersects with a lot of different stuff going on. Um, and I'm not as versed with the 80s music. I did not really think that that was going to be as much of a topic I should have bound up on today. <laughs> but maybe next year. <laughs> For sure. Um, I think that, yeah, because it is more acceptable um, now to have queer representations, it's almost like expected and required in a lot of different places. Um, but you're still going to get, you know, like those AAA title movies, you know, where, you know, it's not super explicit. And so you're going to get a little bit of pushback, especially in like those big markets where they want to be able to sell their movie in China, you know? And so anything that's not going to be okay with China, they can't really have. Um, and so I still think that you see it in some of those big, those big movie titles. Um, Marvel. No. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Seriously, you'll see it a lot in Marvel. Um, and yeah, like I think they're getting a bit better but man they are dragging their feet as hard as they can so and so yeah they want to like appease the people asking for representation without actually like threatening their bottom line basically and so they're trying to thread that needle um, and sometimes successfully sometimes not but yeah I, I think that um, it really comes down to money at this point um, rather than like the social, you know, um, backlash, I think. So I think it's shifted, the conversation has shifted, but it's still there, you know. Well, and a lot of the queer representation that we were getting when, like in the 2010s, was hyper-sexualized women. And I feel like that's problematic in its own way. Um, just, I, I don't watch it for that I want <laughs> I don't need to see women having sex if I want to do that I'm gonna go watch porn like I want to see <laughs> like people in love and having meaningful meaningful relationships and um, just doing things while gay yes <laughs> do be gay <laughs> yes. and do things <laughs> be gay do things yeah. <laughs> um, anybody else yeah yeah Yes. yes, that's on my list. That's on my it's, list. Yeah, that's going to be an episode. <laughs> if you want to come on and do an episode, yeah, if you want to be on that it. happen, DM <laughs> us. <laughs> Any other questions, comments, people that you think should have been gay in media? Well, I have stickers. 
this could be gay stickers in my little overall pocket. And yeah, if you are one of the first five people to ask a question, you get some Dewey DeMonica swag. Yeah, so come up and see us if you would like stickers and or... Yeah, if you were one of the first five, I don't remember who you are. I'm sorry. I'm distracted and caffeinated. But yeah, anyway. thanks so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you so much. Would you like a shirt? <laughs>